Hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version and can be found on page 785 in the Pew Bible. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All four Gospels have some subtle but clear differences in the way that they tell the story of Jesus. But they also have some clear commonalities. And one of the clear ways that all four Gospels begin their version of the life of Jesus is by underscoring this fundamental point. Jesus did not do ministry alone. At the opening of all four Gospels, there is some variation of a way that Jesus calls his first disciples. There are some differences, of course, in in Matthew's version and in John's version that you heard just moments ago. Peter and Andrew were the first ones to be called. In Luke, it's James and John who were the first. In Mark, it's uh, the tax collector. There's, There's differences among all four of them, but they all underscore this point. Jesus called the first disciples to make a difference in the world. And that very same Jesus is calling you and me. And that is the basis for the next four weeks of our worship life together. It's about how each of us can hear with clarity God's call for us to make a difference in and through this church and this community and the world. And that might be hard to hear. I mean, after all, the Bible is filled with tons of people who were called, but then came up with a laundry list of reasons why God certainly had to be thinking of a different person. Some of us think we're too young. Some of us think we're too old. Some of us think we're too new to the faith. Some of us think we're too busy. Regardless of what our inbred excuses might be, it doesn't change the fact that we're all called and equipped to make a difference. And I can't think of a better way to kick off this worship series than the author of the book upon whom this series is based, Make a Difference. But of course, we know him as much, much more than an author. We call him our former senior pastor for 22 years from 1992 to 2014. And even more than that, we consider him a friend. Over my 18 years of my history with this church, I've counted upon him for his mentorship and particularly his guidance and his love since my return three years ago to be your senior pastor. So it is with a very warm Hyde Park welcome back that we receive today our friend, the Reverend Dr. Jim Harnish.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, welcome back. Good to be back. You know, before I say anything else, I think it's also very important for us to give just as warm a reception and welcome back to another one of our dear beloved friends who is with us today as well, your spouse of how many years? Uh, oh, man. 48. 48? All right, we'll ask her later if that's the right number. But let's welcome Martha Harnish back. Where are you? Stand up. Where, there you are. <laughs> Two things. One, it's 49. 49? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. And, are you uh, sure? Yeah, I'm okay. sure. And uh, some of you may not know, it's sort of a common secret. Her birth name actually is Martha. Right. Many of you know her as Marsha which was a nickname she picked up in college and stuck for a long time. We are in a transition period from Marsha to Martha. If you get confused, that's okay. Yeah, so do I sometimes. But you're so. sure it's 49? Yeah, I am sure it's we're not gonna, sure that. We're not going to hear that it's 50 yeah. at the end of the no, service, no, no. are you? I know 50 is coming. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, you can tell by the spirit of this place that there's still a lot of gratitude for all that you and Martha have meant to this place. I'm sure it's just a taste of all of the thank yous that you two heard four years ago, four years ago this spring, when you uh, said your final goodbyes as an official senior pastor of this church. And, uh, and a lot of people still have words of gratitude to you, and I'm sure they'll want to say that to you both after the service. But my first question for you is, what are you grateful for? Now that you've had four <laughs> years apart from being in this place, maybe some time for reflection and prayer, so you come back here today with what on your heart to be grateful for? Well, I really uh, can't improve on what Paul said to uh, the Philippians. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. Thankful for you with great joy. I'm glad because of the way you have been partners in ministry in the gospel from the first time until now. And I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the work in the day of Jesus Christ. I, I feel that same depth of joyful gratitude for you, for this church, for all that we shared together across those years, for uh, all of the ways in which God was at work uh, in our lives together uh, in this congregation. Also, I need to say, uh, thank you to this church for Disciples Path, which emerged out of our life together and now has been used by over 50,000 people as a way for them to launch their life of discipleship. So thank you for a great gift that is being used across the church and helping fulfill the mission of the United Methodist Church to make disciples for the transformation of the world. Thank you. Mm. Well, you're the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, 50,000 people. It's a lot of lives impacted because of what you did here. But you're the gift that keeps on giving, particularly in the world of Methodist publishing, not only uh, Disciples Path, but its sequel, Disciples Heart, and now an updated Disciples Path with new videos. And, uh, and most recently, your latest book, which is uh, the reason that we're here today, called Make a Difference. And I can tell just by reading it, uh, this comes from a very deep 
deep place for you in what you've experienced in this church uh, about ways that people can sense God calling them to make a real difference in the world. Uh, I want to share just a line from the first chapter uh, that is the basis of our scripture text for the day. You write, Our primary calling to be faithful disciples who make a transformative difference in the world never changes. Jesus' initial call to every disciple is come follow me. That's from Matthew 4.19. That's why we picked the text for the day. And so uh, my question for you is, as you think about everything that this church was able to do in the 22 years that you were at the helm, how much of it was possible because of lay people like, like this, people who were here or watching online, hearing God's call to follow them and saying yes to make a difference in the world? Well, and the easy answer is all of it. Uh, from the very beginning, I really believe this was so not about me. It was about the church. It was about who this church had been in its 93 years before I walked onto the property, who God was calling us to be now, and who God was challenging us to be in the future. It was really about all of us together. And uh, the, the way God's spirit moved among us. Some of you were here during those early days. You know that it was exciting, energizing, painful, mm -hmm. costly, mm -hmm. all of the above to uh, wrestle very deeply with those questions. And this congregation did. And in doing that uh, was a great witness to the rest of the church. So it's really about what we've done together. And it was never really about me. It's really about the uh, church. One of the things I appreciate about this first chapter is you capture all of what you just said in three very tidy, portable points, just like a true preacher. You've got three points to give, and they're all alliterative. They all start with the same letter. And so I thought you would reflect for us. To, I learned from the best. So uh, just reflect on what these three phrases mean, because my sense is these three phrases are not only appropriate for a congregation, but for individual people. To number one, remember who you are. Number two, reclaim your mission. Number three, renew your vision. Marvelous points, easy to remember. Why those three points? Yeah, they really do frame not only the conversation in this book, but I really believe they frame as individual disciples how we begin to discover the way God is going to use us as a part of God's purpose in the world. And so to begin with, remember who you are, goes right back to this moment, mm -hmm. to confirmation, mm -hmm. and goes behind that to the moment of baptism. Mm -hmm. Because it's in our baptism that God says, this is who you are. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are a child of God. That gives you a distinctively different identity than all the ways in which the world wants to identify you. Uh, it means that we are people that are centered in this deep identity of being disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, the first thing about our identity is Jesus said, follow me, and somewhere along the way we said yes. 
and that's the source of everything out. I would say uh, to the confirmands, watch out. You never know where this is going to lead. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I had the privilege of preaching in Northern Ireland during Holy Week this year in a church that is being served by Britt Gilmore, who McGray knows, uh, from Florida. He's on loan to the Methodist Church in Ireland. And he shared there that his journey in his memory begins when he remembered that I placed a cross on his neck mm -hmm. when they were confirmed. Mm -hmm. Now, you never know where God is going to take you in the journey that, that you take this step today. Uh, it all begins in remembering who we are as children of God. And then the, uh, the reclaim your mission. If we are children of God, if we are disciples of Jesus, it means we have work to do. Jesus calls us to be a part of the coming of God's kingdom here on earth right now. I have been, uh, I've really been wrestling during these days of Easter with that moment when Jesus comes into the upper room where the disciples are hiding out and he says to them, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now you start to work on that. Mm -hmm. Jesus said just the way God sent him into the world yeah. to be the flesh and blood expression of God's love, to live and model the way of the kingdom of God, that's the same way that Jesus sends us mm -hmm. into this world to be the tangible expression of God's love and grace and together to be the living, breathing kingdom of God people the way Jesus described the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount and in the parables. That's a huge mission. And you start wrestling with that and it's going to impact the way you live. And then uh, uh, renew your vision answers the question, so what? Where are we going? Where is my discipleship taking me? If I say yes to following Jesus, and I become his disciple, what's the end in mind? Stephen Covey, many would remember, said, begin with the end in mind. And the end of our discipleship, the goal toward which all of this is going, the direction in which your confirmation takes you, is toward the fulfillment of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, we just had the outrageous audacity to pray mm -hmm. your kingdom come mm -hmm. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven why in God's name would we pray that prayer if we didn't actually believe that God was going to do it yeah. and what would it mean for us to be a part of the coming of that vision the fulfillment of God's kingdom uh, so I think those three questions sort of frame the way we find the place where our life can make a difference, uh, a Christ-like difference in this world. And I suspect one of your great privileges throughout your, how many years have you been in ministry? Well, I shouldn't even ask, given how much you, you well, don't know how long you've been married. <laughs> something it, less than 50 years. Something yeah. less than 50 yeah. years. Yeah. Fair enough. Given, given all of your decades of ministry, 
I suppose uh, one of the great privileges you've had is to see those three steps enacted in the people that you serve yeah. and see their lives transformed. You mentioned Brit earlier, and you, you mentioned these 45 confirmands, many of whom you baptized yeah. at the start of their faith journey. You were cute. You were cute. <laughs> they are cute, Jim. <laughs> you are now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. <laughs> Some of you cried, I'm sure. <laughs> I think the word I'm looking for is anyway. Um, that's one of the great privileges of being a minister is get to see God's grace work in the lives of ordinary people. And that's what I find so marvelous about this book. It's that it's filled with stories of ordinary people, many of whom uh, are part of this congregation. Your stories are being shared with the wider connection in ways that will make a difference in others. So I guess my question for you is, if you think of all of these stories and all the other ones that you've experienced in your years of ministry, are there any common threads? Are there, is there any connecting theme that ties all of these stories of transformed lives together? Uh, well, one of the connecting threads is they all uh, had the, uh, the unfortunate opportunity to know me. <laughs> because if you can't abuse your friends, who are you going to abuse? You know? uh, and all of the people who are in here, many of whom are here today, uh, they did sign off and give permission right. to tell their story. <laughs> so I'm not going to have a lawsuit about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, as I, and, and there are so many stories of people that aren't here. Mm -hmm. That, as McGray said, the great joy of, for me of being in pastoral ministry has to see people uh, the way we just heard, get it. Mm -hmm. To see people of all ages, of all kinds, get it. <laughs> to get that their life is different because they're a disciple of Jesus. And to get it that God has a way to use their gifts, their talents, their time, their relationships uh, in a way that is consistent with the way of Jesus and is a part of the coming of the kingdom. So that, you know, some of the common threads there, one is uh, for all these people, there came some moment when in some deeply personal way, they sensed that they were called. Mm -hmm. They somehow heard Jesus saying, even as the Father sent me, I want to send you. And that awareness often, I warn you, that awareness often comes after times of pain or struggle, or difficulty. After all, that post-resurrection story is only 48 hours after the disciples watched Jesus die on the cross. I mean, they were still coming out of that pain when Jesus sent them into the world. However it comes, people have this awareness that God wants to do something with my life. Second thing would be that um, they know that they can't do it alone. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus by yourself. God never intended it that way. We are confirmed, we are born in baptism into a family with brothers and sisters in Christ that encourage us, uh, challenge us, hold us accountable. In the, uh, in the arrival hall at the O.R. Tambo Airport in Johannesburg, South Africa, there's a large mural that contains an old African proverb. It says, if you would go fast, go alone. If you would go far, go together. 
I'd say to you, the journey of discipleship is always a long journey. And we discover that we can't do it on our own. And another element in that would be that we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This business of being a part of God's kingdom coming on earth is so not about us. It's not about what I like or don't like. It's not about us. It's about how the Holy Spirit can be at work in us and through us to be a part of God's transformation of the world. And so those, there are some others, but I think yeah. those are some of the common strains that, uh, that I discovered as I worked on this. And those are truths that you reminded this congregation of when you first arrived in 1992, which is uh, over 25 years ago. It might be hard for you to even imagine that it was that long a time when you first stepped onto this campus. But since the very beginning, you identified the potential in this congregation to do amazing things, to make a difference, if it took all of its diverse gifts and unified it according to a common mission and a common vision. It's one of the first things you did was lead the church in a visioning process that resulted in the mission, the vision, the core values that are the basis of everything we still do today, making God's love real, the six core values, all of that from the very beginning of your ministry. As you know, um, we are in that process again, a new visioning process that will result in a long-term strategic plan where we will do two things. Number one, we will, as you said, remember who we are and not change those things that are at the core of who we are. But number two, express those things in ways that are relevant, that are connecting to a world that is dramatically different than it was 25 years ago. One of the first things that Jim did for me when he found out that I was lead a visioning process is he sent me a copy of the sermon that he preached 23 years ago from that very pulpit on Pentecost Sunday, May 29th, 1994, when he was first introducing the phrase, making God's love real to this congregation. And uh, I've been reading it and rereading it all throughout this visioning process. And now that I have you here, I thought, since this sermon, in my mind, is of the same level as like our national archives of this church, (laughs) that I would have um, the good Reverend Doctor himself, with his own voice, uh, read a portion of the sermon that uh, you preached back 23 years ago. Yeah, you know, stuff never disappears on the internet, (laughs) uh, but you may not be able to find it. The fire in the bones of the church is, very simply, the love of God made known in Jesus Christ and made real among us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The coal from the altar, which I am convinced we need to touch our hearts and lives, is nothing more or less than the living, loving Spirit of God, igniting within us a passionate desire to share the love of God with someone else. Marvelous words, and still true, 24, 23 years later, when you think about all of the changes that have happened in our culture and in our world since you first spoke those words, dramatic changes in the way that the culture perceives religion, Christianity in particular, the challenges that churches like ours face as we negotiate changes in technology and generational differences, whatever this visioning process turns into by the end of this year, it'll give us clarity about who we are to be for these dramatic cultural changes. But given what you've said here, what still needs to stay the same about who we are? 
Well, I would say that we found that in our roots. Uh, we really began digging into the long, the long history of this congregation to discover those, those things. And um, I would remind those of you who have heard me tell this story over and over and over again, it was March 16th, 19, uh, 1899, when a handful of folks met in the building just across the street and they started a Sunday school for children in this far out western suburb of Tampa <laughs> that was going to be called Hyde Park. The day they gathered, the history says, they sang the old hymn that says, I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Now that's what's at the root of this church. Right. Uh, this is a church that across its history has been committed to sharing the story of God's love in Jesus, centered in Jesus' call to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others the way we've been loved by God. Uh, that center is uh, all the, the roots of what became making God's love real. It's also deeply Wesleyan. And throughout this church's history, we have been unashamedly, unrelentingly, unrepentantly Methodist. We have no qualms about saying we follow Jesus as a part of the United Methodist Church. We follow Jesus in the way that goes all the way back to the Wesleyan revival in the 18th century. We are Christians who follow Jesus as Methodists. I think those are really the core elements that have always have been the nurturing root of this congregation and that I'm confident will be at the center of whatever God has for the future. Absolutely. And it's one of the common refrains that you heard during your time here that we still hear today, that when people discover a Wesleyan mainline Methodist center field expression <clears throat> of Christianity in this place, people have said to you and still say to us today, this is what I've been looking for all my life. I just didn't know it. We could go on for hours just like this, but they don't, they don't want us to go on much longer. <laughs> So I'm going to end with one final question. It begins with a reminder that after the service, Jim and Martha will be in the courtyard. Uh, please pick up a copy of his book. It's in the coffee shop, and you can have him autograph it if you wish. Sign up for the small group for the next four weeks, all ways that you can learn how to make a difference today. My final question for you, as you think about the capacity of people to make a difference, ordinary people like these folks, who might be reluctant to believe that they can make a difference, what word would you say to them about how they can indeed say yes to following Jesus? Remember the mustard seed. Mm. Remember the mustard seed. Jesus' parable of the mustard seed appears in three of the four Gospels. It says that God is able to take our seemingly small efforts and use them in ways that go beyond our imagination. The end is still the fulfillment of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We may not live to see it, but it's enough to know that the mustard seed 
of our life made its contribution toward God's purpose, God's transformation of this world. It may be that all you think you have is a mustard seed, and that is enough. Well, I know better than to try to top that. <laughs> so I'm going to offer a prayer. Let's pray. God, in this room, there are hundreds of mustard seeds. You created them, and you've given each of us potential. In this place, O oh God, in this congregation, may we find fertile soil to be planted, the waters of your grace to nourish us, and the safe and encouraging medium through which we can bear fruit for the world. In particular, we thank you for these 45 students and for the way that their seed will bloom into full blossom and to make a difference in the world. We thank you for Jim and Martha. Thank you for all that they have been for us over the years and all you'll continue to do through them in the joyous years of their retirement. Bless them as we continue to celebrate their legacy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I can't thank you enough, not only for what you've done uh, for us as a congregation, but for me personally, for uh, your words of encouragement and friendship, especially since I've come to follow in your footsteps. We can still hear your voices echoing in the halls and in the walls here. You and Martha continue to be a, a wonderful uh, legacy, and I can still hear your voice in many ways in my head, uh, for mostly for the better, uh, as you... Uh, as. I was waiting for that. As you continue to shape me and my ministry here. So, once again, thank you, Jim, thank you. for being here with us thank today. You.